ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue tonight in our study of redemption applied. And we've already spent a number of weeks on the accomplishment of redemption. And we started last time with the application of redemption. You'll remember we looked at an overview of it and... Uh, For the rest of our study, we'll be considering all of the various aspects of the application of redemption. So let me give you a pop quiz. What's the first one? You have have charts that were conveniently distributed. Election is the first one, yes. Trick question in the pop quiz, because we explained it in the overview. Yes, technically election is the first in... Here's another question. What is the the Latin phrase that we use to refer to the the application of redemption? Yes, yes. Ordo salutis, right? Right. Do you have any more of the papers from last time? Yeah, there should be some in the pews. So. Ordo salutis is the, the Latin phrase that refers to the, simply just the order of salvation. And uh, technically, yes, election is, is first on that list. Uh, but, but who remembers? Does anybody remember? Why did we say that properly speaking, we really ought to begin to consider the application of redemption with the effectual call? Correct. Correct. Yeah, election is is not a a personal act of God in time. Uh, it, it is a, a one time. Really, it's not even connected to time because it was before time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if you look at that that um, um, chart there, you'll see it's it kind of looks like a, a mountain, right? And and that's an accurate way to view it. So, election is the foundation of everything that flows from it. But when we begin to talk about the personal application of redemption in time, uh, that's, that's what we're really getting to, right? We begin with the effectual call. Mm-hmm. And now one must have an, a proper understanding of the Ordo Salutis in order to understand how God applies the saving benefits of Christ's life and death to individual believers in time. And that is the great question that forces us to talk about the application of redemption. Because, of course, we know we were saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, but the big question, and and some of it is a mystery, but really God tells us how how it is that he does it. The the question is, how does God take the the benefits of Christ's death accomplished 2,000 years ago and apply them personally to us in time? And so that's why we talk about the application of redemption. So... um, Romans 8, beginning at verse 28 and going through verse 30, doesn't give us every piece of the puzzle. And so when we talk about the application of redemption, we're really talking about a discipline of systematic theology. Uh, If you were to say, well, go to one verse in the Bible that just shows every piece to the application of redemption. Well, you couldn't do that, but that's not how you do theology. How you do theology is you you look at the whole of Scripture um, for, for what God has to say, But if we were going to just go to one text that had the most uh, overall, complete, exhaustive list, it would be Romans 8. So Romans 8 and verse 28, 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So a synonym for Christians. You say, well, what are some terms that the Bible uses to describe Christians? Throw some out there. Believers. Saints. Uh, and one would be, in our text, the called. The called. The called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew... Now, So now we're going to start getting into some lists and some orders. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then, here we go, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now these are distinct personal acts of God that he accomplishes uh, when he applies redemption to an individual and there's also a logical and a theological order to these things. Now, we're going to talk tonight about effectual calling. But before we can talk about effectual calling, we first need to understand that in the Bible there are two types of calls. Two types of calls. Um, the other call that is, that, that is opposed, or, or should I say not opposed, but that is different than the effectual call is not effectual, okay? So you have the effectual call, and you have a, another call, which is, it, it, by the way, it's not called the uneffectual call, <laughs> it, but it, 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 you'll hear it called the, uh, the general call or the universal call, or sometimes you'll hear it called the external call. General call, universal call, external call. And um, turn to Matthew. Hold your place in Romans 8 because we're kind of going to use that as an anchor text. But turn to Matthew 22 and verse 14. Matthew 22 and verse 14. So I have a number of scriptures. Some of them I'll ask you to turn to and some of them I'll just quote to you. But I want you to see this one. A verse that has caused some confusion but I really think it's not all that difficult when we understand that there's two calls in the Bible. Matthew twenty two fourteen says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now this call in Matthew twenty two fourteen must be different than the call of Romans eight thirty. Why? Because all those chosen in Romans eight thirty are called. In Romans eight thirty, if you're chosen, you are called. But in Matthew 22, we find a category of people who are called but not chosen. They're called, but they're not chosen. So what call would this be? Well, this is the general call of the gospel that goes out universally to all men without any discrimination. And uh, it's interesting that it comes in a parable, right? And uh, there's another parable that Jesus speaks of uh, when, he, when he, he uses the universal general call of the gospel, he likens it to a sower sowing seeds. Uh, the general call is the call that the church is commanded to give in the Great Commission. The general call is the call that a preacher gives every time he proclaims the gospel. The general call is the call that is given any time a lost person reads scripture or reads evangelistic literature. That's the general call of the gospel. 
we are not opposed to the general call of the gospel. We simply believe that that's not the only call that the Bible talks about. In fact, not only are we opposed or not opposed to the general call, we absolutely affirm the necessity of the general call. But there is a fundamental problem with the general call. What is it? What's the problem? It's external. It's not effectual. That's the problem with it. It does not address the spiritual state of the ones who are being called. Because of man's depravity, whenever the general call is given by itself, keywords there, by itself, without the attending power of the Holy Spirit, it will always be rejected. Always. Because what is the general call? It's just one man... Talking to another man. Well, that doesn't save anyone. It takes the power of God to save someone. Okay, then you say, well, then why even have a general call? Why even have a general call? Why, in fact, why does God command us? You know, if, if me sharing the gospel with someone doesn't guarantee anybody's getting saved, then why does God even tell me to go and do it? Well, let me give you three reasons, and then we'll just dive right into the effectual call, but number one, God commands us to give a general call, or he employs the general call, because the general call is the means through which God declares his glory and manifests his goodness in the person and work of Christ. Let me say something that I think really needs to be understood. Uh, The salvation of sinners is not the chief means of our preaching, or the chief goal of our preaching. It's not. When we go out and we preach the gospel in our evangelistic outreach, there's a sense in which evangelism is not even our primary goal. What's our primary goal? That God would be glorified. That's our primary goal. In all of our preaching, and all of our sharing the gospel, and nothing glorifies God more than to have the glory of who He is in the person of Jesus Christ declared. Right? Now, one of the chief means through which God receives glory is is what? The salvation of sinners. Okay, so I'm not saying that we're indifferent towards the salvation of sinners. No, um, the salvation of sinners brings great glory to God, and we pray for the salvation of sinners, and yes, we preach for the salvation of sinners, but ultimately we're preaching for the glory of God. And we, and we ought not think that if the gospel is preached and no one is saved, well, that means God's not glorified. No, anytime the gospel is declared, God is glorified. Amen. Secondly, reasons for the general call, so that when sinners are converted, the glory rightly goes to God and not the human agent that issued the general call. If someone is saved while I'm preaching, it is not because I'm such a wonderful preacher who's so good at giving the general call. If someone is saved reading a gospel tract, it's not because that gospel tract was so wonderfully well written. It's because God attended that preaching, or God used that literature And therefore, all glory must go to him. I'll never forget, um, I was preaching at a meeting in Oklahoma, and a a woman was converted. I'm giving you the short version of a longer story. A woman was converted while I was preaching. As I was preaching, I could see uh, emotions come on her, and she was weeping, and, and, and it was obvious that God was doing something. And after the service, she immediately got up, went to talk to her pastor, and, and, uh, Later that afternoon, it was announced that she'd been converted in that service. She came up to me at lunchtime and 
thanked me for coming and preaching, but she said this. She said, she said, you know, I really don't even quite know exactly what you were saying. She said, you just you started preaching, and I, I just kind of lost track of you, and it was just like it was just me and God, and God was just dealing with my heart. She didn't come up to me and say, what a wonderful sermon. I was hanging on your every word, and you know, you said this, and then you said this, and then you said that. Now, obviously, God used the preaching, but God made sure that all the glory went to Him, right? Thirdly and finally, why we have a general call, because the general call is the vehicle God uses to deliver His effectual call, okay? That's what we mean when we talk about the Spirit attending our preaching and our evangelizing. God does not have to use us. Uh, He could send His effectual call immediately, but he, he, he hasn't chosen to do that ordinarily anyways. He's chosen ordinarily to work through means. God uses means to deliver the effectual call. And uh, that is why we should pray for our preaching and for our evangelism. The general call can be given without the effectual call, but the effectual call cannot ordinarily be given without the general call. Does that make sense? Um, Ordinarily, and I'm using the word ordinarily because I don't want to put God in a box, but ordinarily, no one is converted to God uh, just riding around uh, with no spiritual information in front of them. Uh, No one is converted apart from the preaching of the Word or the reading of the Word or hearing the Gospel. Those things in and of themselves don't save, but those are the things God uses to communicate. So that's why we pray every Sunday, Lord, as we turn to the preaching of the Word, be with the preacher. Fill him with the Spirit. Use him. Communicate. Speak through him, right? Because God uses those things. Pray over your gospel tracts. Pray over over your your evangelism. When you point a lost person to the Scriptures, pray over that, that, you know, Lord, use it. Once again, we see that the sovereignty of God in salvation does not discourage us from evangelizing. Actually, it gives us hope that God has promised to use our evangelizing to accomplish His purpose and deliver His effectual call. So we say, Oh Lord, use these things to do what only You can do. I can get the gospel to their ears, only You can take it to their heart. But it must first get to their ears before it's going to get to their heart. Right? Uh, The Bible talks about calling or the call or those who have been called in refer in relation to salvation though however it almost always refers to the effectual call so uh, we've talked about the general call now for the rest of this time we'll talk about the effectual call of god and i want to give you the divisions that john murray uses in his book uh, I, I make no uh, bones, or, or trying to make no no secret that I lean heavily upon John Murray's book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, and um, there's been so much written and taught and, and spoken about the effectual call, but he does a wonderful job in his chapter, so let me just kind of break it down the way he breaks it down, and first I want to talk about the author of the effectual call, the author of the effectual call. Uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And a lot of this stuff is just going to be very basic, um, but I, I think 
helpful to us just to be reminded of the obvious. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the obvious. So who is the author of the effectual call? Well, 2 Timothy verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So, uh, under the author, I want you to see, number one, God is the author of the effectual call. God is the author of the effectual call. Again, it might sound obvious, uh, but we do not call ourselves. Uh, really, the effectual calling is, uh, is the most obvious one of all the acts in redemption's application because there's some people out there that think that there are things we do to regenerate ourselves or that, that we do something to convert ourselves. And, uh, of course, we know that that's not true, but at least you can see logically how that, there might be a, a reality in which that makes sense. But in no reality does it make any sense that we are the ones who call ourselves. We don't call ourselves. God is the one who calls us. It's a sovereign act of His grace and His power. Notice in verse 9 of 2 Timothy 1 that the effectual call has nothing to do with our own works. But it's according to the purpose of God. God is not looking down, surveying all the people in the earth, looking for the ones who are trying really hard and living the best lives and saying, well, they're doing so good, I'm going to call them. It's not how God does it. He calls according to His purpose. Now where else have we seen this phrase, according to his purpose? Romans 8. Right? According to his purpose. Um, When we see that phrase, we should immediately link it to the eternal decree of God. his, his, His plan that was established before the foundation of the world. But secondly, the author, we know it's God, but specifically, I want you to, to see, turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. I want you to see that specifically the agent of the effectual call is God the Father. God the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the one who called you has a son. His son is Jesus. And the one who called you, called you into the fellowship of His Son. Therefore, the one who called you must be God the Father. You say, wait a minute, I thought you said that the application of redemption was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit because it is through or by the Spirit that God the Father calls you into the fellowship of His Son. Isn't that a wonderful picture of the Trinity in our salvation? God the Father, uh, he, 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 He says to the Spirit, go call that one and bring him to Jesus. Go call that one and bring him to Jesus. Now, what a beautiful picture. John Murray says this, quote, It is God the Father, specifically and by way of eminence, who calls effectually by His grace. So we see that the Father is eminent in 
our effectual calling. So that's the author of the call. Secondly, I want you to look at the nature of the call. The nature of the call. So when we talk about the nature, we're, we're really talking about what is it, you know? And again, let me state the obvious. The nature of the effectual call, number one, <laughs> it's effectual. It's effectual. Um, it needs to be said. It needs to be said because it's the essence of the call. The word call really has kind of lost its power in our modern usage. It's been a little weakened. You know, when we talk about calling, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him later or, or you know, uh, I saw him in the supermarket and I called, I called him over or something like that. Uh, it, it loses the strength of the, of the word. Murray in his book suggests that we implement a stronger word when we speak of the effectual call. Um, that the word he suggests we use is the word summons. Right? What sounds more powerful? Jesus called Lazarus from the dead or Jesus summoned him from the dead. Right? You see the, the power there. Um, it helps us to understand the authority and the power of the effectual call. But even this word summons doesn't communicate the whole picture. Why? Because ordinarily, we don't associate a summons with the required power of compliance. What is a, a, a common scenario or a common domain in which we speak of a summons? Court, court right? So you, you're summoned to appear. But that summons does not have the authority to ensure that you're going to appear. right? Uh, you might, of your own free will, appear. Or they might have to send a police officer to go down and and force your compliance. Uh, But when we talk about the effectual call, it's a summons that carries with it the authority and the power to respond. Uh, Let me give you this illustration. If I were to write, and maybe I should try this, maybe it would help help us pay the bills. But uh, if I were to write you a letter commanding you to give me $100... Well, the command wouldn't have any power, right? But what if I included in the envelope that note with the command and then I put a $100 bill in the envelope? Well, then you'd have the ability, the power to obey the command. That, that's what the effectual call is. That's why it's effectual. It's effectual not just because it comes from the authority of God, because it does, but we can, obey, we can disobey God. Even as Christians, we can disobey God. God's commands don't necessarily always come with an assured compliance. But the effectual call does because with the call comes the power to obey. Does that make sense? Why it's effectual? When Jesus called out to Lazarus, uh, this is a good way to demonstrate, by the way, the, the difference between the, the general call and the effectual call. When Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth, that was, a, that was a, a general call, wasn't it? And there's a sense in which it was. But what, what we don't see in the spiritual realm of things is the power of God in that call that goes to Lazarus and actually gives him the ability to rise from the dead. Okay, secondly, in the nature of the call, not only is it effectual, it is immutable. Immutable. Think about Romans 11 and verse 29, where the Bible says, the gifts and calling of God, the King James, without repentance. The gifts and callings of God are, are in the New King James, irrevocable. Both of those are great 
translations. Uh, they're without repentance. They're irrevocable. That, that's the beautiful thing about uh, the, the effectual call of God. God doesn't call someone one day and then leave them the next day. That's a beautiful thing. Um, sometimes churches might call a pastor and he might pastor them for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and then maybe another church calls him. Or maybe something happens and that church says, you know what, we don't want you to be our pastor anymore. And that call is revoked. But the effectual call of God will never be revoked. Praise God. Even on days when you don't feel like it. Even on days when you when you've sinned, uh, you're still called of God. You're still called of God. God does not rescind His effectual call. Thirdly, Murray takes just words straight out of the Bible, and he says that this is a call that is high, holy, and heavenly. High, holy, and heavenly. Let me just read some verses to you. Philippians 4, 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, 9, we've already seen. God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Hebrews 3, and verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. All three of these descriptions, high, holy, and heavenly, emphasize the personal responsibility of the one who has been called. So let's get a little bit pastoral, a little bit practical with this theological lesson here. You might say, well, preacher, don't you know the dangers of preaching a sovereign effectual call? If you preach a sovereign effectual call, you will do away with the responsibility of sinners to repent and believe and respond to the call. Uh, You will give Christians a license to sin because you've just told them they're immutably called. And so now it doesn't matter what they do. They can live however they want to. Ah, the problem with that is that the nature of this call is not a sinful call or a wicked call or a call to immorality or a call to remain as you are. It's a high, holy, heavenly call. We cannot say that because the call of God is effectual and sovereign, therefore it doesn't matter how we respond. Uh, A call... It's, it's, it's a, a word kind of like the word ordain uh, or the word choose. It, it, it begs a question. Called to what? Called to what? Well, Murray says, quote, the life into which the people of God are ushered is one that separates them from the fellowship of this present evil world and imparts to them a character consonant with that consecration. God has called you out of this world to be a separate, sanctified saint. What does Paul tell us in Ephesians 4 and verse 1? He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Uh, What is Paul saying? You've been called, live like it. Live like you have the call of God upon your life. We must remember, this world is not our home. It used to be. Before you were converted, this was your home. You were very comfortable here, but you were called out of this world. Abraham, in the Ur of the Chaldees, an idolater, worshipping the moon. 
He was very comfortable there. He didn't want to go anywhere. He liked it. But what happened? God called him. And God didn't say, okay, Abraham, I'm going to make you my, my servant, but you just go on, you keep living where you're living. Uh, you keep worshiping the moon. Don't make any changes to your life, but you're mine now. No, what did he say? He said, get up and get out. And, and, and now, um, we're not a cult, okay? Despite what we might be accused of, we're not, <laughs> you, the, the calling of God doesn't mean that you must necessarily, sometimes it might, doesn't, must, doesn't necessarily mean that you must physically get up and move somewhere, but you must get up and get out of the life that you are living, if you're called of God. And if you find yourself living comfortably in this world, you're not walking worthy of your calling. And if you find yourself not bothered by the sins of this world, the constant presence of sin all around you and in you, then you might have never been called at all. Maybe you just heard the general call. But if you're effectually called of God, there will be within you a desire to respond. To respond. So, uh, we see it's effectual, it's immutable, and it's high, holy, and heavenly. Let me see if I can keep going without running out of whiteboard here. Let me talk to you a little bit about the pattern of the effectual call. The pattern. The pattern. It is the pattern of determinate purpose. Determinate purpose. What do I mean by that? Determinate purpose. What I mean by that, what Murray means by that, is that the effectual call is not haphazard. Um, God does not think the way we think. God did not wake up one morning on the day he saved you and, and said, you know what, I feel like saving someone today. Let me look and see who a good candidate is. Oh, I think I'll save Jacob today. It's not how the effectual call comes to us. Now, the effectual call may come as a shock to you, your testimony might be, I was not looking for him when he saved me. I was, some, some people were, or some people might have been in church listening to preaching, reading a, a gospel tract, crying out to the Lord, but others weren't. But it wasn't a shock to God. God has caused all things to come to pass to bring each one of his people to the specific point in time that he before ordained to call them unto himself. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. Um, you're never here by accident. Lost people are never in church by accident. They are here by divine appointment. Every time they open their Bible, every time they come to church, every time they hear preaching, it is by divine appointment. Think of the conversion of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Some of you know the story of Spurgeon's conversion, but it was a day in which there was a terrible blizzard in England. It was a Sunday morning. Spurgeon was going to a little Baptist church, I think he was 15 years old, something like that. And he's walking to church, and this blizzard is just coming down, and he, he realizes, I'm not going to be able to make it. So he sees this little country Methodist church. God can even use a Methodist, praise the Lord. And this snowstorm derails Spurgeon, and he goes in this little Methodist church. There's just a handful of people in the church. 
the preacher couldn't make it because of the snowstorm. An uneducated deacon gets up. There's a couple versions of this story, so maybe if a Spurgeon scholar ever listens to the recordings of this series, they, they might write our church and correct me here for getting some things wrong. But Spurgeon wanders into this church, and, and an uneducated deacon gets up, and he turns to Isaiah, and, and he doesn't really even preach. He doesn't know how to preach. He just keeps reading the verse over and over again. Look unto me, all the ends of the world, and be ye saved. He just reads that verse over and over again, and, and there's some variations of the story that say that he actually looked right at Spurgeon and said, young man, you look miserable, and you will always be miserable until you look unto the Lord and be saved. That's the day Charles Spurgeon was converted. Now, do you think Charles Spurgeon woke up that morning thinking, you know what, a snowstorm's going to hit, and I'm not going to be able to go to church, and I'm going to get saved at a little Methodist church. No, he had no idea. But God knew. God had formed and fashioned according to his determinate purpose, all of those events to come to pass so that Spurgeon could hear the effectual call. So secondly, it's the pattern of eternity. Uh, It's the pattern of eternity. Point one kind of leads into point two, but what we mean by this is that when God purposed to save a people before the foundations of the world, he ordained their unique and individual callings. Isn't that a a wonderful thought? Not only did he ordain the single event, the single event of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross, but he ordained every single event of every sinner that has ever been saved hearing the gospel. We can't wrap our minds around that. And thirdly, it is the pattern that is devised in Christ. Devised in Christ. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So, all of the benefits of our salvation, the effectual call, regeneration, justification, they're all in Christ. And we are called because of Christ, we're called for Christ, We're called to Christ. We're called in Christ. God doesn't do anything apart from uh, the view of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, uh, lastly, I want to show you the priority of the effectual call. And what we mean by that, the priority of the effectual call, we mean uh, as it relates to the ordo salutis. The priority of the effectual call in the, the application of redemption. There are some who argue... Uh, that regeneration would precede the effectual call. Now, that's not as significant of a shift as when we get to regeneration and faith. Uh, But I I do believe that there are some good reasons for believing that the effectual call logically takes priority before regeneration. Now, again, remember, we stressed this heavily in the first session. There is no chronological distinction between many of these things. So, there is not someone who is effectually called and then they're, they're, they stay effectually called, but they don't become regenerated for days or weeks or however long, right? They're called and converted. To, in our vantage point, it looks like it just happens all at once, and it does. There's a sense in which it does happen all at once, but there's a, a, a logical cause and effect relationship. And let me just give you a few reasons uh, here for the priority of the effectual call. They're too long to, to write, so let me just give them to you. Number one, it is the effectual call that Scripture explicitly says unites us to Christ. 
remember 1 Corinthians 1.9, you're called into the fellowship of Christ. So if we rightly understand the application of our salvation as the blessings of our union with Christ, and, and there's a, a really good chart that we'll probably look at when we get to the lesson on union with Christ, union with Christ in the middle, and every blessing of salvation comes out of that union. Well, if, if effectual calling is what unites us to Christ, then logically it must precede regeneration. Secondly, we must be careful to differentiate the call from the response. No one ever responds before the call is given, right? Regeneration and conversion, repentance and faith, are the response to the call, and therefore they must be antecedent to it. They must follow the call. Um, the reason why, the reason why we preach a gospel of repentance and faith, the reason why we tell sinners to repent and believe, right, is because that's the only way we know if they've been effectually called. We don't preach to sinners, you, you, you be effectually called, because we, they, can't, <laughs> they can't effectually call themselves. And, and in truth, even faith and repentance are the gifts of God, but they are the manifestations of that call. So we would say, if you sense conviction of sin, if you sense a guilty conscience, if you sense the Lord working upon your heart, surrender to Him, repent of sin, believe in Him, flee to Christ, because those are the responses that one would make if they're being effectually called. And thirdly, this is the explicit order that Paul gives in Romans 8.30. That kind of ends the discussion, really. You know, Romans uh, 8.30, he says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. So you're called, justified, glorified. And fourthly, in the New Testament, special emphasis is placed upon the fact that calling is in accordance with the eternal purpose of God. Now, obviously, all aspects of redemption, its, it's accomplishment and its application, all of them uh, flow out of and are concerned with God's eternal purpose. But it seems that there, there is a special emphasis on the eternal purposes uh, when it relates to effectual calling. And that indicates that it is the initial act that flows from God's eternal purpose. Oftentimes, when you hear call or you see call in your Bible, you will oftentimes hear something according to his purpose before the foundation of the world, or something to that effect. Ephesians 1 uses that language. Romans 8 uses that language. We could look at effectual calling this way. Effectual calling is what begins the unfolding of God's eternal purpose intimately and individually in our lives. When God uh, decides it's time to intervene in their life, the first thing he does is effectually calls them. Then gives them new life, regenerates them, then gives them repentance and faith, then justifies them, then adopts them, right? Then begins the process of sanctifying them. So, as we close, let me just stress again the importance of getting the order right in the Ordo Salutis. Regeneration uh, follows the effectual call, and I, I believe it's accurate to look at regeneration uh, as the link between calling and conversion. So, if you have... Regeneration here, I'm just going to put uh, regen, okay, regen. You have calling, and then you have conversion. 
the great link is regeneration. Because that's the actual change that happens within you, right? That leads to your conversion. But that change only happens when you've been effectually called. Uh, And we must uh, affirm, let me say this as we close, we must affirm the biblical necessity of the effectual call. There's a great number of Christians who deny that there even is such a thing as the effectual call. There's a doctrine known as Pelagianism that teaches that man's nature is basically good and therefore he has the ability to respond to the general call. And if that was true, then the Pelagians would be right. There would be no need for the effectual call. (laughs) But there's an abundance of scripture that teaches they're not right. Man's nature is, is corrupted by the fall. He can't respond to the general call. He will never respond to the general call unless God, with the general call, gives an effectual call. It's, it's necessary. No effectual call, no salvation. Think about the consequences of what I just said. What does that mean? That means that all of our preaching, all of our witnessing, all of our evangelism, if God doesn't empower it, it's pointless. What does the hymn say? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. We don't save anyone. We are His instruments. And our prayer is just, Lord, use us. That's our prayer. We must stand with Scripture. As a result of the fall, man's nature is radically depraved. And if God does not intervene in a supernatural way, man cannot be saved. No effectual call, no salvation. So let us pray that God would use us to do what we cannot do, effectually call sinners and save them for His glory.